Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Hey, we're feeling the need. The need for podcasting this morning. Spoiler warning. Oh, we're going to have plenty of those. Yeah. Welcome to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks and our review of Top Gun Maverick. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater located on Highway 2 just down from the airport. That is the place where Dave and I at different times went to go see Top Gun Maverick. That was the place to go. It's located on Highway 2, and you can check out a movie there. We record on Tuesdays. Tuesday also happens to be a pretty big day at the Bemidji Theater. That's because it's $5 movie night. Five, five dollar, five dollar movie night. You can head on out there and check out a movie for great savings on Tuesdays at the Bemidji Theater. And if you're still working your way back into going to theaters, Getting concessions there goes a long, long way toward helping the theater out. So, the Bemidji Theater, great place to catch a flick. Hey, it's this week alone. It's going to be ridiculously hot and muggy out, and it's the start of the summer. So, going to see maybe a movie marathon, dark, air-conditioned, ices at the concession stand. This is how you survive summertime heat waves starting. It's going to be like mid-80s today. So, today would be a great day to start. Go catch a movie and get yourself out of the heat. That's a pretty good way to do it. All summer. Yeah, so we are going to pour into talking about Top Gun Maverick here. But first, Top Gun Maverick is not the only big-time tentpole movie in the box office right now. We had previewed this a few episodes ago with our summer preview. We knew this was going to be a pretty busy-slash-exciting time in terms of what was happening at, at the movies because Jurassic World just released its latest movie and it was Dominion? Yep, Jurassic yeah, World Dominion. Dominion. I was getting it confused with Fallen Kingdom there for a second in my mind. That was the last one. Dominion, which is the end of the Jurassic World saga, I believe. I, th- I think, yeah. Yeah, you never know uh, at this point, though. But it did very well at the box office. $143 million domestically, over $200 million, well over $200 million worldwide with its open. It and Maverick, it looks like, are going to push the box office to some very impressive covid era numbers which thankfully hopefully is a sign that movies are making a strong comeback here in terms of getting past covid yeah um the movie itself not getting the greatest reviews from what i've seen there's plenty of fan service from what i've seen but at the same time still not really anywhere near where the original was. You know, the original is awesome. I thought The Lost World was okay, too. I liked the first Jurassic World movie, but other than that, they're all, well, let's come up with any reason we can get them on the island, even as it's preposterous, and go. That's kind of where it goes to. I want a little more plot other than just popcorn thrills and chills, but eh, it is Leaning on dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it is what it is. You know you're going into a popcorn movie, but that's what made the first Jurassic Park movie 
movie so special is that it had a message. I mean, a real good cautionary tale. You can, but did you ever stop to think of whether you should or not? It's a good line from Jeff Goldblum's character. And a good metaphor in some ways for movies, as you and I have talked about on a few occasions. Well, I mean, clearly this movie's making bank. And by the way, between Top Gun Maverick and Jurassic World Dominion, they're forecasting the very real possibility that June worldwide could go a billion dollars at the box office, all of those, all in, just for June, which would be the first time we've got that benchmark since uh, just before the pandemic. I think it was summer of 2019. That's a good barometer. Are people, oh, people are done going to the movie theater. Really? No, they're not They're not done. There's good reasons That's to go. That's exciting. Give That's them a good reason exciting. to go, yeah. Jane Austen on the big screen I don't think quite captures it, but you get dinos and fighter jets and laser beams and exploding aliens, and (laughs) then you've got reasons to see it on the big screen. Yeah, exactly. So that's a pretty potent one-two punch to have at the beginning of summertime, and Mm. we're getting it with those two movies that are out right now. The numbers are reflecting that. We'll see how things play out then the rest of this month, but that's, that's a pretty encouraging forecast to hear something like that. And Hopefully, that'll continue to stay strong with people going to the theaters. And we're not done yet. We've still got some Marvel movies. Thor is about to kick down the screen. We've got another Minions movie. We talked about the summer box office preview, so you can go back and reference that one. Uh, but summer of 22 does look to have some uh, has some heft to it. This is good. I love a good comeback, especially if it's one like this for theaters. Speaking of comebacks, we should just kind of present the scene i suppose since this pandemic thing got going you and i up until that point had always done the podcast in the same room at the night's round table here but ever since we've kind of been in different rooms me in the hallway with the door open this is the first time in what two plus years two and a half years that we've sat at the round table for the first time so this is good this is refreshing isn't yes. it it's great but it's always warm and humid room. in this room so yeah i know i'm sorry <laughs> We had to make sure to to record in the same room because we needed to make sure to close the door. That's another reason that it's a little bit stuffier in here. That is due to the fact that there will be spoilers abounding today. There will be a lot of spoilers because this is a full-on review of Top Gun Maverick that we are doing today. So if you have not yet been to see the movie, I recommend that you turn off the podcast and come back to us after you have seen the movie. If you're not planning to go see the movie, you're maybe a little bit intrigued, you're going to have a lot that you're going to be learning today and hearing. So just fair warning to everybody. This podcast will be writing checks that your movie-going ego can't cash or something like that. Yeah, we don't want to spoil Boy, the you movie are, for you. You are going into all kinds of references to the first movie. That's where that's so. what the movie did. So from this point on, you have been warned. This will be a spoiler-heavy Top Gun review. No secret will be uh, spared. So you have been warned. So we've talked about this before, but the first time that I watched Top Gun was with Dave. Dave said, you know what, who... Why don't you come over and experience watching Top Gun in my theater that I have at home with surround sound and all of that. And I was like, hey, that sounds like a great time. So I came over. We got a chance to watch the movie, checked it out. And and I was like, all right, I see what the hype is about. I wasn't super, super big on the movie. I, I liked elements of it, though. But at the same time, too, I was like. Ah, this feels super macho. This feels like there's not much plot going on here. 
what in the world are, do we have going on with Berlin playing so often? <laughs> like, this is kind of, and boy, especially that one scene, very awkward. Like, this, this is all kind of, eh. But I was like, hey, in the 80s, I'm sure a lot of people, they just ate this up and they were big on this. Yeah. So Top Gun Maverick was not very high on my list. In fact, it was not on my list as far as, okay, movies I've got to go see in theaters. Then I heard about how it did at Cannes, and I started seeing some of the reviews coming in that were just sparkling. And I heard over and over and over again, this is a movie that demands to be seen on the big screen. And me, being somebody who loves going to see movies in theaters, went, you know what? I think I'd better check it out. How can you go wrong with this? Right. But better make sure to go and actually see the movie. So that brings us to our review of Top Gun Maverick. And I want to start with you, Dave, since Top Gun is is one that you had seen before I had, you had been attached to well before I had. For you, as somebody who's... What are you trying to say? Older? Is that what you're trying to say? Somebody who was alive when Top Gun, the first one, came out? Is that what you're trying to say? No, let's not get super defensive. (laughs) I was going to say a Top Gun aficionado in some ways. I was going to have a compliment there, but you went ahead and decided to go that route. How did you feel about the movie? Top Gun was always kind of special around the house. My dad was a fighter pilot in Vietnam. He flew it was called an F-4 Phantom Two. It was kind of a fighter bomber. Um, so anytime you get some sort of jet movie, whatever, in our house, yeah, it was it was one of those things. My brother, for a long time, but shout out, yo, uh, wanted to get into the military. He ultimately did get into the more submarine side of things. So there's your shout out. Um, he'll love that. Um, so when it, we watched it for the first time, I didn't see it in the theaters. I saw it on videotape in our den in the house where I grew up. And it was a fun one. Everyone had talked about it, all the hype and all of this. It was everywhere. So we finally went and saw it uh, on the big on the big TV screen, I guess. And it was one of those that everyone just loved. It was everywhere. And uh, so you kind of get into that hype. It was like going to see Batman in 89. You couldn't go anywhere without the Bat Shield. It was just buying into the hype, but it was good. It was fun. It was enjoyment. It was a popcorn movie. It was a lot of, you know, aficionados for the real deal. There's no way he would have buzzed that tower and kept his wings, man. He would be grounded. He'd be kicked out of the military. So there was a lot of that. But was it a fun movie? Absolutely. It was pure catnip is really kind of what it was but it wasn't necessarily 80s catnip oh yeah it wasn't based on reality in the 80s everything was much bigger than it really appeared it was like the wizard of oz was just a little old man behind the curtain but you don't see that it's just this big overblown thing and that's what top gun was it was fun it was a spectacle but it wasn't it was a lot of frosting and not so much cake you know it it made sense to a point but you also had to suspend some disbelief and just kind of go with it uh, so, and, and that's just what it was, but it was a really good commercial. It was really good cake. It was really, it was really fun. And it's still to this day, when you think about eighties movies that just kind of blew it away, Top Gun is going to be in the top 10 on that list. I think it was number one movie of 1986, I believe, uh, just box office wise and tickets sold. But now it's been a long, long, long time later. A lot of people were saying, well, it's been too long. I don't think it's going to do. And now it's just blowing away everybody with stinger missiles. Exactly. Yeah. And it has returned over 30 years after after its predecessor, which you wonder at that point, hey, like that was one of my first thoughts was, do we even need a sequel? Like, is is this worthwhile? Is this a worthwhile venture or is this just some vanity project to do a sequel just because? 
Well, wouldn't you know it, they found a way to make it quite relevant, and they found a way to make it a very, very makeable story. Yeah. That, that was in the, they found a way to make it a makeable story. That's great. Um, so they, they found a, a great plot thread to be able to pick up on and run with, with somebody who we had seen on screen. Actually, was play, he was played by twins, the son of, of Goose in Top Gun, who we had seen there. And they find a way to be able to center a story around his son, who, who now has decided to follow in his father's footsteps, that being Rooster, played by Miles Teller. But of course, you have Maverick still having to deal with the the ripple effects personally of what happened with losing his good friend in that first movie um, and and now trying to deal with his son wanting to follow after his father and the wish of Goose's wife that, that he wouldn't go after that, that he wouldn't pursue a career in that field. And then the, the, um, the rift that's created then between Maverick and Rooster and the way that he resents the fact that he pulled his file when he was trying to go through training school. They found a really, really good plot thread thread there, Dave, and I thought that made that alone was already something that built on the first movie and already found something that worked better. Um, and they found a good plot point to work with there, and that was just the beginning of a movie that I believe is certainly superior to the first in many ways. How often do you get that with a sequel? But I felt that was absolutely the case here and makes for a movie that even if you weren't too keen on Top Gun, the first one, you're going to love the second one for a lot of different reasons, and that's one of them. Yeah, that plot thread absolutely makes sense. And you're figuring, well, you know Goose's son is factoring into this, so there's a couple of different ways they can play it, and the resentment card is certainly the one that kind of comes out front and center, and that's where they went with it certainly makes sense, not just because you killed my dad, but not that he really did, but there's always doubt and there's always guilt. Um, but Who's it was to blame. Yeah. yeah, but there was, you know, you did pull my file. You did basically sabotage my career to move forward as a fighter pilot because my, you know, late mom, who was briefly played by Meg Ryan in the original, um, did not want me to pursue this and f- potentially follow into the same, you know, too close to the reality and put myself at risk. Maverick, please, you need to sabotage him for me, for the family. So he does. And Rooster's unaware that his mom had asked, because, you know, he's going to resent me for doing it. Why should he resent his mom, too? So Maverick never tells. Goose never knows that it was really his mom that wanted that to be the case. So you've got a lot of resentment. And, of course, when you're talking about even the first Top Gun, how many of those guys, those flyboys, have got some sort of chip on their shoulder? He's got a huge chip. About the size of an F-18 Hornet, if I'm not mistaken, on his shoulder. Gee, how fitting is that? Yeah. Yeah. So it was good. Yeah. And made sense. It wasn't, you know, taking some leap of logic. The first one, you kind of need to take a leap of, you know, this disbelief. This one, not as much. This one is much more reality-based, I think. No, we start with Maverick doing some testing that's going on for the Dark Star program, and they're pushing for Mach 10. They, that's what they are pushing for there with this this new plane that they are working on. And he he beats Ed Harris's character out there to go do it. Ed Harris had He's trying the, to shut the, the program, program down. Yeah, he which, wants to shut it down. I guess it's based on a real plane that's a concept right now. They haven't yes. built they're building it. So they kind of fast forwarded it. So here is the plane, the concept now, and presumably they're flying out at Area 51 or wherever test ground that they're flying at. 
and uh, they're going to shut this thing down. But Maverick knows we can't let this thing get shut down. We're going anyway, and Ed Harris not happy about it. No, and I, I liked where we picked things up with Maverick at that point because you see him still doing a lot of the same things that, that Maverick had done in the first movie. He's pushing boundaries. He is going against orders in some respects too. But but he sees an opportunity that's there with this program and with the people who are invested in it. And so he gets up there in the sky flying over Ed Harris as he's arriving at the base. They reach Mach 10. It's a success. They've done it. But what does Maverick do? He tries to go a little further, a little Right after being told not more. to. Right. Not 10. Not 10.1, not 10.2, 10. Yes. But he's got to push it. You just knew that was going to happen, too, when that got mentioned and, and brought up before he took to the sky. Well, he did, and wouldn't you know it, the plane gets disintegrated and Maverick ends up touching down in some 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 Middle very town. rural location and then arrives at a diner looking like he just arrived from outer space and where that, am i earth welcome earth. which was a fun kind of a quirky kind of a neat scene that didn't feel like it was top gun-esque but it wasn't not top gun-esque it worked yeah it was a fun moment and wouldn't you know it just when it looks like maverick is going to get booted for good where they've gone you know what you have spun your wheels you are going nowhere you're intentionally going nowhere he's still a captain and they they make that painfully clear to him that he has decided to go nowhere with his career except just continuing to do test flying and be and piloting and doing exactly that a lifeline comes from, of all people, Iceman, who's well, you, now an admiral. But you find out that Iceman and Maverick have had a pretty good relationship, and anytime Maverick gets himself into deep doo-doo, Iceman is always there to kind of pull him out and get him, you know, keep him online. Yes, because we we saw them become on good terms by the end of Top Gun. They That had been the big rivalry at the center of that first movie. I mean, those two going macho. But then the end of the movie, we get that great moment with them Patching you can be my wingman anytime, man. Yes, and we get a great photo that comes with that too. Boy, what a what great use of that photo during the course of the movie because that's that's such a cool movie and a, a cool photo and throwback to that point in that movie and a younger time for Val Kilmer and for Tom Cruise and they they use that photo quite a lot in different ways. But Iceman pulls Maverick out of the fire again, as you pointed out, and says. You're going back to Top Gun. There's need of you there for a mission. And he goes back, and lo and behold, he discovers that he's going to be teaching and training Rooster among a crew, an eclectic crew of of the best of the best who have been called in for a very dangerous mission. And Maverick is going to be there to train them through this. And one of the things that, that stands out immediately is this crew, they truly are the best of the best, all of them, with what they do. But... There's more for them to learn. They are not, you know, even it was said even during the first Top Gun, there was too much reliance on this thing and not the other thing. And the art of dogfighting has kind of gotten away from a lot of pilots. Uh, in fact, in at this point, Maverick is the only guy to ever really engage and shoot down as many planes as he has in the last, what, 40 years. It just isn't the way it used to be. So it's almost a lost art. So here comes a, a knight from the past 
who's going to show you the way it used to be done, and that's Maverick, and he can outfly these guys because it's a whole different school of thought compared to the way it is now. Even though John Hamm's character, Cyclone, who's kind of spearheading this mission... Kind of the Viper character in this one, the, you know, the Tom Skerritt character yeah. from the original, that's basically his role in this one. He's not super keen on Maverick coming no. in and doing this, though. No. Not at all. No. Clearly not. He's been ordered by Iceman, this is how it's going to be, make it work. Uh. Yes, and it's because of his respect for Iceman and the fact that he's an admiral that, that he goes, all right, I'll 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 acquiesce to this, but I'm not a fan of this in any way. So in comes Maverick, and he's ready to, to get them training and up and running, which brings us to what I think is a very, very strong moment in the movie, in, in a movie full of strong moments, and that's at the bar. Because we get this progression that happens at the bar, Dave, and I, I liked the progression that we have there, where first you have Maverick reuniting with this new character, Penny Benjamin. Maybe is- new character. There's, I've, I'm pretty sure that there, she's mentioned in the first movie. Really? In the beginning of the movie, they get called, they're on the aircraft carrier right after the thing with Cougar and they land on the deck. You've already been busted for this. You got this. You got five high-speed flying you know, high passes over a tower and one admiral's daughter. And then Goose kind of whispers, was that Penny? Was that? And, you know, th- and that's her. And I'm pretty sure the admiral's daughter that got the flyover is the Jennifer Conley character because they've got history. So she's, she's got- spoken of in the first movie but just not seen. Just in passing. Yeah. Was that Penny that you flew over? Is basically what Goose and it's, huh. it's almost under his breath. You know, so you, if you're really not paying attention, you don't get it. But I caught that. I, I knew the name of the character. I just watched the first movie not long ago, and sure enough, there it is. And she is an admiral's daughter. Here yeah. we, we learn and figure that out here in this one. So they introduce her anyway. They're former lovers. Yeah. Yes, that they've they've had a connection in the past. And boy, do you get it with some crackling dialogue. And she she gives it to him. And and Maverick is clearly very sheepish. Um, when he when he is talking to her and they go through all that and when you know it he has to buy two rounds for the house she and owns the bar yeah. yes she owns the bar there and uh, it, she she lets him know that and throws it down um, I like Jen- Jennifer Connelly a lot in Blood yeah. Diamond um, that's where I had most notably known her from had you seen her in some other stuff too, oh yeah or? she's she's been a, she was a child actress I think the first thing I ever saw her in when I was a kid was a movie called Labyrinth it's, it's a Jim Henson movie and I've seen her in a lot of things since then she won the Oscar for uh, Beautiful Mind with Russell yes, Crowe yes. she's been around and she's actually been in the Marvel movie she's voicing the replacement for Jarvis the Friday computer that's her Really? Because her cool. real life okay. husband is Paul Bettany, who did Jarvis. Ah. So that was kind of an in joke. Ha ha ha. So now she's doing the voice. Yeah, she's been around a long time uh, and she's darn good. Yeah, very good. And that that was just crackling dialogue there. Oh, yeah. You and I have talked about Tom Cruise before. We have, yes, we have gone there. We have labeled him as slightly overrated, although I, I've got some things to say on Tom Cruise in a really good light for this movie. But. One thing that has not necessarily been his strength, I would say, is dialogue and is more of the acting side of things. Um, Sometimes he can lack a little bit there. There was a lot of good chemistry between the two of them that, that was pretty natural, it felt like, in this movie. 
I think they kind of know each other outside of work. And so I think there's kind of an outside relationship, friendship there, and that was something to build on. Um, but they're both pros. I mean, they've both – she's won an Oscar. He's been nominated for an Oscar before, so it's not like he's completely out of this. Right. I do think that you know Tom Cruise in a lot of his big moment scenes, and I don't just mean Top Gun, I mean any movie – um, especially if it's a drama movie, they're almost pushed too hard. You know, there's that scene in Magnolia oh. where he was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, but I didn't believe it. He was pushing it. You know, it's almost like he's trying to do an impersonation of a of an impassioned moment, but it just doesn't come across as natural. I, you know, I, you and I both have our issues with Tom Cruise. Uh, I don't think he's a bad actor. I just don't. I think it's overrated a little bit. But when it comes to crafting a movie. Because he's more than just the star. Oh, he's a producer on it. He's really involved. And in I mean, whether it's Top Gun or Mission Impossible or whatever, whether you like Tom Cruise or you don't like Tom Cruise, I like a lot of Tom Cruise movies. And Mission Impossible, Top Gun, yeah. We'll take we'll take a quick sidebar then to talk about that because I was going to bring that up at some point. You probably saw this as well as I did. At the beginning of the movie, before the movie even started, yeah. Tom Cruise himself comes on screen and has a personal message for the viewers. And I was like, what's I've never this? seen this I before. I was like, what's this going to be about? Are we going to have something that, are we going to have like some kind of sales pitch, social item that's going to be coming up here? Is this going to be a sales pitch? I once saw Emma Stone and, and Andrew Garfield do this with the second Spider-Man movie. Like, I'm a little worried here what the, what this is going to be about. No, it was just him going, thank you for coming to the movie. This has been decades in the making. We use real F-18s for this. We crafted this for you. Like, you see his dedication to crafting a movie in, in a way that is going to be visually spectacular for the viewer. Because if Tom Cruise lacks in terms of his acting, he does not lack in his commitment to the stunts that he does to to making it a movie that's going to be really entertaining. Like he is committed to the entertainment side. And I was reading the the Roger Ebert website review of of Top Gun Maverick. And there was a line in there that I thought was really great where they said that we maybe ought to appreciate Tom Cruise in his commitment in that regard to making a movie in the same way that we appreciate for instance a Daniel Day-Lewis in Absolutely. his commitment to bringing a role to life in terms of how he plays a role and his ability to get into a role. We need to appreciate Tom Cruise maybe in the same sense, just in a different way for his commitment to to making a really entertaining film. Tom Cruise, at this point in his career, can rival about anything else. He's as much of a titan him himself let alone any film company or studio or director, he almost single-handedly is responsible for this film getting to be what version of the film it turned out to be. If Paramount Pictures wanted to change things and do a lot more CGI, Tom Cruise said no. In fact, he had some prerequisites in order to be involved in this. This is going to be primarily in-camera shots. This is not going to be a lot of CGI. There is a little bit, but not you know much at all. Um, and, you know, of course, the original director, Tony Scott, not around, but uh, Joe Kaczynski, who directed this, did a fantastic job. And the first movie he ever did was that Tron Legacy, which was a fabulous movie for yeah. what it was. He really nailed and knew what he was doing. But Tom Cruise is the force here, and he was determined to make the shots real. He was the driving force. This movie was supposed to come out 
before the pandemic, and it got delayed not because not originally because of the pandemic, but because we got some great shots with all the cast in actual airplanes. Let's do more of that. And it took an additional year of photography, and then it ran into delays because of the pandemic. But actually getting these guys into actual planes, not gimbals like the original movie with you know you know extras wearing their helmets. These guys are actually in the cockpits, not flying the jets. They're sitting in the back seat, but you can't really tell that. And because of the small space, these guys are actually in charge of controlling their own cameras and lighting and all of this. And that was a big Tom Cruise thing. And not only that, with all of these movies going to day and date streaming and big screen, Cruise said, no, 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 no. This is getting on the big screen or it's not coming out at all. And they bowed to that. And I think that had a lot to do with him showing up on the screen. Yeah. Thank you for coming to the theaters. Thank you for coming to see this here. This is a movie that really deserves to be seen and heard in the right kind of a situation, it's just not the same the way I saw the first time, the first Tom Garn movie on the you know small screen in my den. It just is not the same. This was something. And spectacular that's all the time. Yes. Yeah, spectacular craft. Yes, and all due to Tom Cruise, and he was the driving force behind this. So don't mistake. This would have been some other kind of, eh, but Tom found a way to elevate it, and that you got to give him the credit. Another... Another point that goes with that, I was reading that Kenny Loggins had recorded a new updated version of Danger Zone for possible use in the movie. But Tom Cruise said to him, no, we're, we're not going to take the new one. We want to have the original. We want to keep the original just as it was in the first movie. They didn't beat us over the head with it either. We got it at the start as they're doing the opening credits, that was, that was the it. title credits. Yeah, as we're watching the takeoff that was going on from uh, from the, the carrier deck. We see that there, and then, yeah, that was it. Great use of it. Great use of the old classic music, too, especially there off the start. You know, another quick sidebar. This is kind of like the newest Ghostbusters movie really harkens back to the original a lot uh, in look, in feel, in theme, in characters, and so forth. In fact, the opening of this movie... For a moment, I was wondering, did they put in the wrong Top Gun movie? Because this is starting <laughs> identical to the original. It's got planes on the carry. It's got the same soundtrack by Harold Faltermeyer, that electronic synthesizer score. That you know, it's got the little preamble. I'm like, this is okay. I'm, I'm, I need to see a different name on the screen. Okay, there's the director. Okay, maybe this is the real well, one. Well, it did say Maverick. Under well, Top Gun then as well. you knew it was. Yeah. Then you knew you're it was like, the real. Okay. But for the first 60 seconds, you're like, this is the, this is the original movie, I think. Yeah. Nope, 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 we got this. I mean, it even had the old Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer opening title card, and De- Don Simpson died in 95. Right. So that's... Those were neat touches. Yeah. Really neat touches. But it's worth taking a quick sidebar here as to how much this movie harkens back to the original. I mean, obviously you've got Goose is almost in the movie without being in the movie. It does actually show flashbacks from the original. Even Kelly McGillis shows up in a flashback at some point yeah um but there's so much that's there even at the end um f-14s which are basically not really used anymore but those were the movies that those were the planes that were used back in the original the the f-14 uh um oh i'm forgetting the name of the plane it's been a minute yeah and but they they show up prominently in the, in the end of the movie, and that comes in handy. But it's not something that you see coming. They do kind of reference it early, so they kind of prepare the, the, side the scene, so to speak. But you have no idea Maverick's going to be flying one of those before the end of the movie. Which brings us full circle back to that bar scene, because you have the, the interaction and connection that happens between Tom Cruise and Jennifer Connelly, and then um, with Maverick and, and Penny. 
And then you start to have the the crew come in. The the, the fly boys. The fly boys and girls and girl who come in and and they are they've got their banter going on uh, by the pool table and stuff and you start to learn a little bit about their dynamics and how they operate with each other. All while you have just a great soundtrack of music that's playing in the background with the jukebox, which they've got all the classics. They've got the classic hits playing there um, as they're bantering through. And they interpose that with what's going on over at the bar itself as Maverick is interacting with Penny and also kind of watching these youngsters as they're they're interacting there. And they have a brief interaction, too, prior to when – you see Rooster come in, and then Maverick's watching Rooster from afar, especially with goodness gracious, great balls of fire, which definitely harkens back. Yes, which ought to be a really amusing moment as he's singing and playing, and everyone's having fun as he's as he's got them all gathered around the piano, and Miles Teller is is tickling the ivories outside. Maverick, who has been booted after um, not being able to pay the tab is watching and he's you can tell it. he's thinking back to Goose quite a lot because here's Rooster playing the same song that Goose played for Maverick back in the day. It's right in his face. Right. Yeah. It's right there and you see it, it impact him and just how hard that's hitting him. And then so you go from a great scene there, just a great collective scene there that sets up many many different things in terms of where the movie is going to flight school to quote-unquote flight school it's not flight school though this is they're getting ready for a mission that has a very very short window of time for them to prepare for and is a seemingly impossible mission um no pun intended there Uh but but, yeah kind of i guess it's kind of intended but anyway they are getting ready for this mission that's going to require them to be at their very, very best, and these are already top-notch, top-notch pilots. You're skipping something. There's another kind of parallel from the original to the other one. So you go to the original movie. Tom Cruise has the famous pickup scene with Kelly McGillis. He sings the song, and then of course the next day she turns out to be the instructor. Oh man, what did yes. I do? Well, now here's this flyboy insulting Tom Cruise. He's the old. Thanks, old man. Very next day, guess who walks up front? The old man, and he's the instructor. Oh yep. man. So there's a parallel. So there. you see Hangman in his. Reaction yeah. There. yeah, there's a lot of that that keeps coming up. Uh, yes. But then, yeah, back to your original point. Well, I'm gonna I'm going to reveal what my favorite scene of the movie is, and then I I want to hear. I know where you're going. Is. My favorite scene is when they get up in the air for the first time, and you start to hear the first few notes of the Who's "Won't Get Fooled Again." playing as they are going through this training exercise and they've got bets out there as far as push-ups of who can take down who who's gonna shoot down who yeah they've got a scrimmage going on and that that's kind of maverick's way of being able to feel out his pilots although uh, meanwhile john ham's character cyclone is going you're wasting time here is as they look back a little bit later on it all but talk about cutting them down to size maverick gets up there and he takes these guys and and gal to school with the way that he goes and is shooting them down all over. It gets to be pretty emotional when he is going up against Rooster, and they both kind of, you get that with both of them in the way that they are talking to each other with the self talk of hey, "Come on, don't let him get to you," you know things like that, and as they are just 
working and dogfighting and dodging each other up in the sky. And you get some amazing visuals too with the way that the planes are flying between each other and doing all the kinds of things that they are. And all of it set to an amazing beat in the background. My favorite scene in the movie. I absolutely loved it. Well, and it's a classic rock tune that's not exactly modern. So it basically kind of mirrors what you're hearing as to what you're seeing. Old hits don't go away. So you've got this old man that they was getting ridiculed at the bar the night before taking these guys down to the sound of a classic rock tune. It's just kind of simpatico. That's right. And he lights them up, and they're all doing their push-ups. And uh, I forget the name of the guy that's on the deck who's one of the ground crew who's just kind of, you know, you know, a little extra lemon juice into the cut, you know, for these guys. Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. So it was just one of those moments that was good, and the photography was spectacular. Oh, man. And you got to remember, again, we've mentioned it, but just remind yourself, this was not CGI. This was really shot with real planes. They did do this with the original Top Gun, and they had stunt pilots, and that's not CGI, and there's some models and stuff, yes. But this 99% of what you see with the planes was all done with the cast in the cockpits and with real planes. That's amazing. And it just adds to the adrenaline with the way that they filmed it and shot it and the the up-close visuals you get of all of them inside the cockpit and then what the planes are doing. You feel right up in the midst of it that you feel like you are riding sidecar on these planes. What a thought that is. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just adds to that adrenaline burst. Apparently it costs like 11000 per guy per flight to get that shot. So, Gosh. I mean, just the cost to add oh. the realism to it, and this was Tom Cruise again. It's just a real quick sidebar, something we've talked about in the past with special effects and CGI, and a lot of times it doesn't feel like it's quite right, it's out of phase. You didn't feel that at all because it wasn't a factor. These people were really there, and you didn't for an instant doubt that, well, that's fake, well, that's not true. Because it actually is absolutely true. And all this, when they're doing this, you know, breath stuff, you got to fight off the G-forces. You know, you don't just sit in the cockpit just like it's fine. If you're going down and you're pulling 12 Gs or whatever they're pulling, that's 12 times the force of gravity. You're, all your blood's going to get sucked out of your head. You need to tense up and a lot of hyperventilating. It sounds a little weird, but if you kind of understand what's going on in that cockpit, fighting the forces of G... Yeah, that's the, exactly the way it is. Exactly. And that was very realistic. You're not just seeing Tom Cruise breathe weird. You're also watching his face slide back and forward because of all the G-forces on his body. And that's the way it really is. Yeah, and you see that with all of them as well yeah. as, they are, as they're going through it when they get into the training mission. So middle of the movie, you've got a lot of different plot threads that are going on. You have a suddenly expedited training yep. that's going on. You've got a renewed and rekindled romance between Maverick and and Penny as they are starting to to really get things going again in terms of spending time together, going for rides on his motorcycle, you know, hanging out. Um, she won't let him come in though. She's got a daughter. That that's that's a factor there too. And then when he is allowed in, he's got to get out quick out the window. Kind of screws it up. And lo and behold, there she is watching. She's, she's up to his tricks. She knows what's going on. Don't break her heart again. Yeah, the daughter is telling you that. That's that'll put that'll put some serious fear in you. That's that's like a mom telling you that. Well, there you go. That's the daughter you telling know, you that. Another quick thing that you're seeing in this, Tom Cruise or his character Maverick, Pete Mitchell, has essentially been in a bottle 
you know, for the entire time from the original movie to the next movie. Which gets brought up a lot. He hasn't moved forward in life. He's just kind of exactly where he wants to be. And he has sabotaged his career enough to the point intentionally to stay where he is. Now, slight sidebar. Well, how come it was only Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise had returned from the first movie? How come not Kelly McGillis? Well, it's because she's older now. You know, there's something to be said about that. But it all, what, how does it factor into the story? Why isn't Tim Robbins around? You know, he was one of the pilots in the original movie. He, everyone goes in different ways. When you get together with your old high school buddies or your old college buddies, there are going to be times and reasons why not everybody comes back. So think about Kelly McGillis's character from the first movie, Charlie. She is a serious woman. I mean, she's not messing around. And she, you know, the fact that she got hooked up with him in the first place, she probably knew better and kind of says so throughout the movie. If Tom Cruise is not going to mature as a character, his character in the movie, rather, she's not going to stick around. So there's there's no doubt why Kelly McGillis's character isn't there. There's no real point for her. She would have moved on away from Maverick probably fairly soon after the original movie. She's a long-term ex-girlfriend. She may as well be the one that owns the bar, but that's not what Kelly McGillis's character would do. She's serious business. She's not going to own a bar. That's a good explanation there, Dave, because speaking of our last episode, Ambiguity, where yeah. we talked about unspoken things in, in movies, that would be one that I'm sure people would be thinking about or asking, well, what's going on here? Where Where's... Where's Charlie? Where's the main love interest from the last movie? Well, I think you explained a good reason why she wouldn't be around in this one or something that's there. Even if it's not explicitly stated in the movie, that would explain a reason why she wouldn't be around. Because Maverick has simply not gone anywhere in life and has just not progressed forward. But you're finally seeing it. At least in in a sense, in a a professional sense, he's not progressed forward. In some ways, personally, too. In a lot of ways, personally. And he has to reckon with that. And that's what we see during the course of this movie, in that he has to deal with that with superiors. But most notably, he has to deal with that with Rooster. He has to deal with that with the, the specter of Ghost, Hang or the, the the specter of the ghost of of goose, goose himself, yeah, ghost of goose. It was close. Hanging hanging over him during the course of the movie, and which brings us to another very poignant scene. One of the another one of those best scenes in the movie. Well, time out before you before that, we know where you're going, but before you yeah. go there, talking about his character evolving. You know, he's talking about uh, Jennifer Connelly's daughter, don't break her heart this time. And that kind of registers with him. And you get to the point now, kind of fast-forwarding to where we're going, you find out that Tom Cruise isn't just going to be teaching this mission. He's going to be leading the mission. What do you, what's the Well, very, that changes. That changes. Yeah. But the very next thing you see is Tom Cruise going to tell her that he's going on this mission that may not be, he may not be coming back. Tom Cruise of old, stuck in, I keep saying Tom Cruise, Maverick, Maverick of old, my yeah. apologies, would have just gone. You know, he would have just hot shot it. He would have pushed to Mach 10.1. He's just going to go that next thing because why not? He's starting to become aware. That become he is, responsible. Yes. He, you're seeing this evolution in him. He is finally starting to evolve to the point where maybe if Kelly McGillis's character was in this movie, there might be a future for them. But he's already blown that 30 years before. She's long gone and doing something professional. And uh, she's probably a senator at this point for whoever knows the way her career would go. He, on the other hand, and everybody around him, you know, they've all moved forward except for Maverick staying right where he is. But now you're finally seeing he's probably going to hang him up. 
you know, this is going to be his last flight, most probably, or if he survives, that is, um, this is going to be the last one for him. Um, so you finally, finally, finally see him start to evolve, and then that brings you to where you were going. That's right. Which, by the way, you you mentioned it there. Great scene when he again goes against orders to an extent because he he gets control of the mission taken away from him. There's there's been some compromise that has happened with him in there. Um, that he gets the mission taken away, but prior to that comes a very poignant scene when he goes to speak with Iceman. No, he goes to talk to him himself because Iceman had been the driving force behind this mission, and then Iceman calls him in and he's like, "I need to see you," and via text. And we've that's the only way they've communicated to this point. Yeah, and. Iceman's a part of the movie, but only kind of in the background. You see, yes. his, you see his picture because he's in charge of the Pacific Fleet or whatever. So he's like the admiral in charge. But he's texting the, with him. But prep for the mission is not progressing. And no. at the center of it is the fact that there is a rift that is definitely there between Rooster and Maverick. And then there are other rifts within the team that are going on as well, most notably Rooster and Hangman have have some history there that is keeping them sort of on opposite ends of the ledger. But then Iceman, he catches he knows all. He catches wind of this and he goes, "All right, Maverick, I need to see you." Texts him. And then he, in he goes, and that's where real life and the movie come together with Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer in the last several years uh it wasn't pri- it wasn't publicly disclosed for a long time. He just wanted to keep it quiet, but he had throat cancer. And Val Kilmer can no longer speak. He, just, he can't do it. Um, and so they basically, well, why, how are we going to work around this? You know, if you get, if you're an actress and you get pregnant and they don't want your character to be pregnant, they find a way to work around that. They did not work around this. Iceman also has, they didn't really say what it was, but clearly it's some kind of a disease and it's hard for him to talk. And he does speak some lines, but the lines were actually AI. But were taken from Val Kilmer's. I mean, there's plenty of samples to choose from through his career. So Val Kilmer lip syncs his lines, and the lines are post dubbed, but not by another actor, but by AI doing Val Kilmer's voice. So Val Kilmer's computer voice dubs him in the movie, and it was po- very poignant the way that they worked that. Very, in. yeah. Val Kilmer didn't speak a line, but his character did, and he did a lot of typing. Even when he and Maverick are talking face to face. Iceman is typing on the computer and Maverick's reading what he's writing and that's how they're communicating. But it was soft, it was gentle, it was poignant, but it also kind of throws back to the rivalry. Who's the best pilot? They're still kind of, you know. Yep. Loved that interaction. Yeah, and that's that's an emotional one. That entire scene. Very, very emotional. Quick the way that that plays out. Quick little tidbit, and I love little tidbits in movies. His wife, Iceman's wife in the movie, I don't know if you recognized her, but she was I can't remember the name of the character, but she was the rebellious daughter from Uncle Buck, the one that was running off to go. And, that was the that was the wife, Jean Louise Kelly, I think her name is. <laughs> okay. Did, that you didn't pick up. Now you're thinking, who's Uncle Buck? <laughs> People are listening are going to know Uncle Buck. It's a great John Candy movie. I'm I've I'm familiar with the name of the movie. I just haven't seen. it. All right. Well, she was the oldest daughter in the movie that was the rebellious one, and that's Got it. that's his wife in the movie. Interesting. And did you know? Quick sidebar, just a little tidbit. All their nicknames, I mean, for the original movie, I can't tell you who picked Maverick as a name and Goose as a name, but all the actors got to choose their own names. And really? My, Miles the call Te- signs. Yes. Miles Teller said, well, if I'm the son of Goose, I have to be something related. So he went with, you know, cocky guy Rooster. But everybody, including one of the pilots, Fanboy, and it's written in a Star Trek text, 
Honest. Yeah. Everyone got to choose their own names as to what they wanted to be, and uh, then the designers kind of took it from there. But I got a kick out of that little tidbit, too. And then there's Bob. There's Bob. Simply <laughs> Bob. Who, by the way, is, re- is Lewis Pullman, whose dad is Bill Pullman, who flew in oh, an F- really? Yeah. Cool. Who also flew in the F-18 in Independence Day. Yes. Amazing. So there's another little weird connection that if you don't pick up. Great on. connections. Yep. Yeah. So fresh off of that conversation where <laughs> one of the things that Iceman emphasizes to Maverick is, I needed Maverick for this. I need you to be you. And... Fresh off of that, with that idea in mind, when Maverick, uh, well, first of all, we see that, here's another huge spoiler in there, although we've been throwing spoilers well, out there all throughout. We've told you spoilers are coming. I, Iceman eventually does pass away, and he, and he dies, and after his death, that's where John Hamm's character, Cyclone, really takes hold of the mission, grabs no him by the horns Iceman and says, to save him. right, and says, all right, Maverick, you're done. I'm I'm taking over this mission. Timetable has been expedited. We're not moving forward quickly enough here. Well, what does Maverick do? They are at a point where they have been struggling to meet the time parameters of the mission. Maverick hops in the plane himself. The one and- moment in this movie you have to suspend disbelief if you understand how the military works. You don't just get in a plane. Right. I'm just going to No, you need orders that come from a it doesn't happen like that. That's the one moment in this movie you're Come like, Come on, All Dave. Right. This is Maverick. This is Pete Maverick Mitchell. Come on. He's not kicked out of the military, but even then, you could be active duty. You don't just yes. get in a plane and just go flying fully fueled and blah, blah, blah. So he runs this simulated course. And he runs it even quicker than their timetable that they had established. He runs it even quicker than that. It can be done, and I will show you. Right, and to inspire the crew and to show them that that it's possible. He wins the respect of all of them. Cyclone is furious, but he sees there is no other choice. He has to make him team leader. He has to put him in charge of this mission. And so that brings us to when he goes to Penny, shows some responsibility there, and then into the mission itself. This very dangerous mission to this unnamed enemy that they are flying into the territory of to pull off this mission against. There are a lot of a lot of things in play, a lot of factors in play with anti-aircraft, with um, these planes that can take off on a moment's notice, and then some planes that pop up on the radar that they didn't plan for, too, uh, that they have to deal with as they are flying this. And oh, by the way, Hangman is not chosen for the mission. A guy who has proven to be very much a on-his-own sort of guy, doesn't think of his teammates, he gets left in reserve and has to begrudgingly accept that. Yeah, he's a little bit of a combination between Iceman and Maverick himself and that he's very cocky and sure of himself. And very rogue. And very rogue, like Maverick, but he doesn't get chosen for the mission. He gets chosen to stay back, and Rooster gets brought in. Um, and you know, you said this unnamed enemy. They never said in the first one who it was, but a lot of people kind of assume that it was probably North Korea. So it looks like it could be North Korea again, maybe China. A lot of people saying because of the uh, F-14 Tomcats is what they're called. Uh, Iran still has those, and they still fly those. And so it's speculated it could be them. But I'm seeing a lot of red stars again, so it's got to be maybe some communist nation. So China, maybe North Korea, possible. Much like, but never said. Much like the Mission Impossible TV series, which I like a lot. I like that it's ambiguous. Yeah. I like that it's uh, we're we're not going to pin this on any particular nation here. It's just this is an unnamed enemy country that we're flying into and flying up against. So that's what brings them into this mission. And one thing that we see throughout the movie is that Rooster. 
Rooster is kind of restrained with the way that he flies. He's he, doubting himself. He he doubts himself. He flies conservatively. He's very by the book. He says, you know what? I accomplished the mission, even if the timetable was not the one that you wanted. Well, he throttles up in a big way mid-mission and suddenly starts doing a lot of things that run counter to who he has been and what he has done previously. Partially inspired by what he has seen from Maverick, but also him having to reach a point of self-actualization. And another great thing, we see Maverick at times during the movie going, talk to me, Goose, all throughout the movie. Well, then Rooster does the exact same thing. He, yeah. he said, talk to me, Dad, you know, just all throughout. But you've got that parallel where Tom Cruise, when Maverick gets back into the action after Goose's death and the battle at the end of the first movie, he's got a lot of self-doubt before he finally comes around, kicks it in the butt. All right, and then he's engaging. And they've got the same thing with Rooster here, who's playing it back. Good Tom, parallel. Maverick has come up with this plan. you got to go fast, you got to go low, you got to do it this way, otherwise this can happen, and it's the parameters of which are just there's no margin for error it can't be done until maverick proves it can be done but goose is or uh, rooster rather is going slower than he should because you got to get this done in x amount of time or else this happens and then this happens and this makes it all but difficult uh he finally snaps it into gear and goes not just fast enough but faster than he should be going and really steps it up and now he becomes less of a goose and more of a maverick himself right so they have this dogfight that happens after they accomplish the mission, they pull it off, and then they have this dogfight that takes place afterward as they are trying to to finagle their way out of the anti-aircraft and, and trying to work their way around all these missiles. But when you know it, Maverick gets shot down in the midst of it. And Well, and here's, finish your thought. Well, we've it had been alluded to all throughout the movie, this idea of somebody's not coming back. Yeah. Like, they, they planted that seed very early on in the movie, and it felt very intentional, Dave, that, that planting of the seed of that in there. That doubt. And it, so it brings us to that point where you go, oh, Maverick's not coming back. Then he wakes up, and then he looks up, and there's Goose Come, or there's no not goose there's rooster, rooster coming back and he arrives yep wouldn't that be something the ghost of goose arrives <laughs> and saves the day that's Wait, a whole other movie yeah that's that that's in the realm of ghost the fan- hunters top gun yeah the fantastical rooster comes back then and goes against orders more or less in terms of coming back and trying to save maverick and help maverick he gets shot down and you go oh no now there's two of them down although you see him uh, out with the parachute but they're both okay. They're, they're shot behind, down, but they live. But they're behind enemy lines. But the other thing that's brought up is that what generation fighters you have. And the F-14s in the original movie are generation three, I think, as far as fighter jets go. And fighter jets aren't haven't been around that long. They only kind of came in around the Korean War in the 50s, and they've moved forward since then. F-18 Hornets, which are you're seeing mostly through the movie, and that's generally what they're flying on this mission. That's generation four. That's the next one. But now we're up to, like, uh, generation five, the F-22 Raptors. For example, those are very much more on the cutting edge. And whatever country they're invading here and attacking, they've got these Generation 5 planes. And these guys are flying Maverick and his crew. They've got Generation 4. Now, why they're not flying Raptors and you know matching the Gen, I don't know. It must be some sort of a capability that a Hornet could do that a Raptor can't. I, they don't really say, but they are saying, we're going to have older planes going up against the newer planes. And in a dogfight... 
we have no chance. It's not the machine. It's the pilot. And even right. then, they, these That's planes, the point of emphasis throughout the movie. These planes are going to light us up, so we can't afford to go up against them. That's why this mission is so impossible to match, because you have to get in low so they don't know you're coming, hit it, and then get the hell out of there now, because if these planes get on you, that's it. I thought that that entire sequence there was one where they suspended reality a bit and they they tested the limits of that. And it was one area looking back on the movie where I was like, I'm not 100% certain on that with the way that they played it out. But I was also like, but at the same time, I am highly entertained, so I will accept this. That's kind of of how I felt at that time. Some of those things those planes do, they can do. They, they they can hover and they can use that to their advantage. Oh, sure. I'm, I'm oh, not yeah. necessarily talking about that. I'm talking about more so like the idea that that Maverick and Rooster were able to pull off some of the things that they did. For instance, stealing that F-14, going up against an F-22 in action and using that F-14 going super old school. The fact that they were both okay. You've got this machine gun helicopter flying in that's basically staring Maverick down and going after him. And that's then very realistic. Last, last moment, last moment then, when it looks like he's a goner, in comes Rooster to save the day. It's like, okay, you're pushing some boundaries here in terms of believability. A little but bit. I, but I will accept it because yeah. this is highly entertaining stuff. And, and yeah, it's it's a movie. The big kick at the end, this old country that's got these you know brand new jets, they also have you know old, old jets, which in this case are the F-14 Tomcats, which are the ones they flew in the original movie. Maverick and Rooster steal one of them. So now Maverick and Goose's son are in the F-14. Talk about a definite throwback. Classic. I don't even know how this thing works. Nothing really works. But they get it to go. They get it to fly. And now you've got a Gen 5 versus a Gen 3, which is, you know, a chicken shoot, really. There's no way. And F-14 is maneuverable as it is. It's big. It's kind of clumsy. It's not, as say, as fast as an F-16 Falcon or anything like that, let alone a, whatever these other jets are. Um, but they manage to you know evade and get around until they run out of luck. They run out of ammo. They run out of countermeasures. And then, of course... Here comes Hangman. You just knew that Hangman was going to get the call at some point, and in he comes, and he's got some great quips for them as well. You know, it all felt very much like some kind of 80s movie at at that point with all of those sequences and the way that they had happened. But I'll say this. Even though they maybe pushed the limits in terms of in terms of plot, in terms of quote-unquote believability at, at that point, even though maybe they pushed some limits on it, I think the movie had built up enough slack with all the good that it had done to that point with the plot and in terms of the visuals and in terms of resonance that it worked. It worked on an emotional level. It it was great to have an emotional payoff that wasn't a gut punch because you kept expecting it. You were led to believe that somebody is going to die in this mission. Somebody's not going to come home. All of those things. And yet, with the emotional gut punches that we had maybe gotten in some ways earlier in the movie, some of the emotional push-to-the-ledge kind of things that we had had that had happened to that point, it worked to have a good and quote-unquote happy ending, like the one that we had there, the celebration on the carrier. Like, they hit some really good notes and pushed some really good buttons in terms of the emotional end of the movie in that way because I, I of the way that it had built up to that point. Absolutely. There's only one death and it happens off screen and that's Iceman and cancer got him. It's presumed cancer. 
Uh, and that's it. This was one of those movies where, yeah, you, you had to believe there are real stakes here and the odds are people aren't coming back. And you're thinking, oh, this is how Tom Cruise is going to get out of having to play Maverick again. And people, you got to come back for Top Gun 3. Well, not if you not if you pull a Han Solo and, you know, kill him off. He's not coming back, even though he did. But, you know, Maverick doesn't use the force. So I don't think he's coming back. But he lives. And so they, he could come back for a Top Gun 3. It's a possibility. Maybe it'll take another three years. But the reality is, when you're talking fighter pilots, Tom Cruise, in his real age, is far older than any active fighter pilot even those old aces that are still around he's way above that so even that's pushing the level of if you understand how it works it's it's smoke and mirrors but it isn't going to happen and however long it would take to make a top gun three if they do that and tom cruise comes back as maverick maverick is going to have to be you know on the ground and he'll be calling it from the back and you don't see tom cruise doing that so maybe tom cruise is out of top gun except for maybe an executive producer capacity but who knows that's just me speculating if they would continue on with this in some way but you see you see a lot of threads get tied off at the end of the movie of course he comes back to penny and her daughter and Takes her for a ride in his plane, of course. Classic with doing that there Mustang, at the end. Yeah, yeah him, and, him and Rooster, they've established an understanding with each other by then. And that included an understanding of this was why your file got pulled. This was this was why that happened, which was at the center of, of a lot of their conflict between each other. But what was your favorite part of the movie? Did you have a favorite scene or, or section to it? I liked, you know, I think... I mentioned what mine was, but... The, uh, to, to give you a better example, I like... If, to make a good sequel, you got to bring back more of the same that the original had, but you also need to bring in new things, so it's not just another carbon copy. Die Hard 2 is an okay sequel, but it's basically paint-by-numbers with a lot of the same elements from the first movie just kind of reorganized, and that's basically what it is. It's a reshuffling of the same thing. You need to have some of the same things, but you need to do it in different ways. And a lot of the callback scenes, I got a kick out of the fact that Harold Faltermeyer, who did the soundtrack synthesizer score for a lot of movies in the 80s, whether it was uh, Beverly Hills Cop or Fletch, he also did Top Gun. And he came back and did this one, too. And it's the same stuff, which was awesome. Yes. Um, so a lot of those callbacks, when you had the beach volleyball scene in the original, so now they <laughs> change it. And now it's beach football. You know, you're on offense and defense at the same time trying to build camaraderie on this team. That's the version of that. So those moments that were, you could see it was the same things, but in a different way and going in new directions. And then as a story, it brought in a lot of things. What I really enjoyed was how good of a movie it was. I think it's an example of a perfect sequel. It definitely brings back more of the original. It's got a lot of fan service. They're flying off in the F-14 at the end of the movie. That's a big one right there. How realistic? Not so, but it worked, and it was good. And it certainly brings us into new directions, and it certainly evolves the character of Maverick. I really, just as a fil- as a movie guy, really enjoyed watching those parts work as an audience member and watching them click into place, and I loved it. It felt like it was a modernized 80s movie yeah. that we watched. Like it, it was like they took the spirit of the first movie. Well, they kind of had to. I mean, it's a right, sequel. Yeah. Right. They took the spirit of the first movie and they recaptured that but did it with a fresh coat of paint and they did it by fleshing out things that had not been fleshed out very well in the first movie. They, they I think, took a really good, honest look at maybe what was lacking from the original Top Gun and said, we need to maybe enhance this or update this going into this this follow-up. 
And they did. And, I, and they, they made it work in a great way so that even somebody like me, who was relatively lukewarm on the first movie, is looking back on this one and going, that was a spectacular movie. It was it was just great. And the music the music was such a great blend of a lot of things. You had the synthesizer music in there. Hans Zimmer, I believe, worked yep. on the on the score for this movie too. But then of course you've got Kenny Loggins. You bring him back and and Danger Zone just, just again. The, just a cameo, really. And, and that's then it. you have Lady Gaga who had apparently approached them and said, I have a song for you if you're interested. And they they got a hold of this song that that plays at the end of the movie and said, this works really well for what we want to do here. And you have a great combination of lots of different cooks in the same kitchen putting something great together in terms of the sound of the movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, the, the sound of the movie is another big thing that, you know, the special effects in the original movie weren't all that special effects. They were done in camera, but they were, you know, rear projection and gimbals and stuff. But the sound was, for the, for the first time, was something that was truly amazing. And I remember when it came out on video, you have to watch this on a stereo system because no one had surround sound back then. It was just stereo because the soundtrack and the score and the sound effects and everything was just beautiful. This one also. Uh, the other thing about this movie is the original, of course, clearly captured what they call the zeitgeist to the very top of the pop culture mountain. It was, it's permeated everywhere and it just got in everything. Is that going to happen with this one? This is one element that as a filmmaker, you have no control over. It just, it's just something that you deliver and the audience is ready for it. The timing is great. You, all you can do is, you know, I've eaten at the same restaurant at the same time and order the same item, but some days other versus other days, it just hits different and it just is the best meal I've ever had. I even had that meal last week, the same time, same place, but it just didn't hit me then like it hit now. You can't control that. So is this Top Gun going to kind of grab the public's imagination like it did the last time? There's no control. I don't think it's going to. I mean, I just I don't see that happening. But every so often, something will come along and it just grabs people. You know, talking to people, though, on an individual basis, I've been amazed at just how much of a consensus there has been on this movie. I mean, you leave the theater and you want to go rev your car up and drive down the road really fast until you realize, (laughs) yeah, listening to Kenny Loggins or to whatever piece of the music you'd want, and then you realize, oh, wait, there are speed limit laws, and I need to make sure I follow them. Like, that's how I felt leaving leaving the theater. I was like... Man, I just want to rev it up, and then when I get to 65, okay, I'll throw out a Punch it, now. Chewy! Yeah, exactly. That's how you feel leaving the theater. It's like, man, the adrenaline's just crazy. And then I was talking <laughs> to other people about the movie, and they're like, oh my yeah. gosh. It, it, the consensus has been amazing on this movie. And even if it doesn't capture a period of time in the way that the first one did and, and resonate on that level... I think, Dave, this one resonates in a better way because it is a better movie. Yeah. And, it, and it, yes, it may not have this pop culture zeitgeist of the time. It but doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They, they've capitalized on that to make a better movie than the first one. And one that, honestly, it, it just has deserved the rave reviews that it has gotten. Yeah, I think, you know, if the first Top Gun movie got another pass over with the script and they kind of cooked it up a little more, I think it would have been 
I don't know, maybe this movie is what the top first Top Gun movie could have been. But Tom Cruise at the time of the first movie, he was he wasn't a nobody, but he wasn't top he wasn't Tom Cruise yet. He was building a profile. He was though, getting man, there. Him and Val Kilmer in the same movie? Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Big time at that time. But the point being, he wasn't there to shepherd the first one through. You had the director, Tony Scott, you had Bruckheimer and Simpson, and that was kind of it. And uh, they had their clashes and they had their things, but they didn't have any one guy to shepherd it through. Tom Cruise now is his own juggernaut. He very much uh, was very much in control of this movie, and he was determined it was going to be in such a way. And sometimes you could say bad things about controlism, and I get that. And then there are times where you need a shepherd to get this through, and the reasons this movie succeeds are because there was a strong shepherd. You, As much as you may have issues with Tom Cruise, you have to give the man credit. This movie wouldn't have been what it would be if this didn't happen. He single-handedly made this happen. He had a lot to do with the Mission Impossible movies, kind of getting back on track, bringing in J.J. Abrams to help do that. you got to give him credit, and he's done it again here, bringing in Joseph Kaczynski to direct it. Um, so if they ever do a third one, if there's this level of control, I mean, who knows where we're going to go from here? I honestly don't know. But this is a good adventure to go on. Right. If this was the last one, if they said, if they just decided, you know what, we we got our sequel years and years and years later, and it was a worthy sequel and a really good one, and they decide that's good, I'll be I'll be delighted. I mean, that's where you know you've got a good thing, but you also know, all right. We've played the hits. We've done what we wanted to do in terms of building on it. And we know well enough to then go, all right, it's time to step away from the property. Or do they go the other direction? We'll see. We'll we'll just have to wait and see what they decide ultimately wants to be done there. But right now, they've got a lot to celebrate. I think Top Gun as a franchise, because now it is a franchise, is very much about, it's very centric on the Maverick character. Well, Maverick's got to be in his planes, and he says it numerous times, I'm where I want to be, I'm where I need to be, and that's being a pilot. I don't need to be a general or an admiral, I don't need to be in a desk, I this needs to be me. You know, there's a Star Trek parallel here when Kirk gets promoted to admiral and everyone's saying, you shouldn't have taken the promotion. You, it takes you right. out of the seat. Right. You, your best destiny is being in command of a starship. The goose has helped uh, Maverick to figure that out, and Maverick is right where he knows he needs to be and where he belongs. Nobody wants him there, so he's out. He's not going to be able to keep this going, even if he is evolving as a person. I don't see another movie coming forward without a real leap in disbelief because he's going to be 60 by the time that they or get a, around to it coming out. Or a change in emphasis. So who's the focus of the movie? Uh, or what is the focus of the movie? It would have to change if yeah. there would be another one in the future. So. He, he is older now than Tom Skerritt was, who played Viper in the original. And he was he would only fly ceremonially, basically, to help train the, the teachers, but the kids. But he's not going to go on a mission, and neither is Maverick now. I mean, this was this was his graduation ceremony. He should have thrown his cap into the air, you know, like, and that's it. Because he's his helmet in the yeah, air. Yeah, that he, he's not going again. You know, yeah. this this is it. He'll be sixty by the time the next one comes out, and there aren't any sixty-year-old pilots. There is a physical aspect of flying an airplane. And at some point, it's not an ageism thing. This is just science. The body can't take it. And he, I mean, Tom Cruise is a specimen that is unique. I'll grant you that. 
But even then, there are limits. You know, he's starting to get banged up on the set. He messed up his leg on a bad drump. And he ran the... twice. Yeah, on he... a treadmill and then in the woods. Yeah. So he. I, yeah. I did want to laugh when he ran in the woods, even though it was a serious part in the movie because he had been shot down and he's trying to run to Rooster and get to him at that point. I wanted to laugh at that at, at that stage, but I was like, well, this is a little bit serious. You're here. not used to seeing somebody in the Maverick helmet running. He's usually sitting in a cockpit <laughs> talking about banking left or something. Yeah, it was an unusual image. Overall, I walked out of that movie. I saw it with my wife, and we both really enjoyed it. We both really liked it. I think it is far superior to the original. Um, it really is a very, very good movie. And it just, uh, everything that the original almost was, this finally gets to that point. It's, for the most part, realistic, much more than the original. If you understand military protocol, and I'm not in the military, but I have enough people around me that you kind of get the idea. Uh, this follows a little easier. Uh, it's a little easier to swallow as far as that stuff goes. That would never happen. It's muttered a lot less in this movie, but not not unheard either. Right. It, it's a far better movie. I really liked how they dealt with Val Kilmer and his real-life issues yeah. and, and brought him into the movie with a lot of love and dignity and grace and, uh, and made it central to the plot. It worked. Uh, it's such a good, good movie, and I really, other than maybe some a moment or two of disbelief, I can't I can't find fault with the movie. It's just I've only seen it the once, so maybe a few other times other things will pop out, but there's a lot of callbacks. There's a lot of love. This clearly was not something let's just get it out there, make some money, it'll be great. This was crafted. This is hand carved mahogany. That's what this movie is. This is a film with really good action scenes. Very well said, Dave. Yeah, that's a wholehearted stamp of approval from both of us for Top Gun Maverick. On behalf of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, which is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just down from the airport. Um, not much more to say in terms of our review of Top Gun Maverick. I mean, we, you and I both loved it. We couldn't wait to talk to each other about it. And there was some thought of, hey, are we going to do a review of Maverick? Sure. Has it been that, that big of a movie to do? Once we both saw it and once we saw the reaction, we were like, Yep. We've got to. We've got to review this and go back over it because it was just that good. Yeah, I yeah. highly recommend it and see it in the theater. I don't know. I know that Tom Cruise yes. fought to get it in the theaters. He's won that battle. When they're going to do the turnaround and it's going to show up on Paramount Plus or whatever, I would give it before the end of the summer. It'll be there. I don't recommend seeing it for the first time at home on Paramount Plus or wherever it's going to come out. See this one on the theaters. There's a reason why seeing it in the movies is a very obvious choice. Yeah. This is one of those. Between the way the sound is set up and the size of the screen, yes, go see it. Get some good snacks. It's going to be really hot this week, so it'll be a great opportunity to escape 90-some in humid weather and go see the new Top Gun. Uh, cannot recommend it enough. This is a summer movie. That is a great way to put it. Yes, a big-time summer blockbuster. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. We will see you at the movies.